Once Upon a Time, Season 4, Episode 18 is over, but we are just getting started here on Once Upon a Recap. Hello, all you magical people out there. My name is Mike Bloom, one of the co-hosts of Once Upon a Recap, and I am joined, as always, he knows, as well as Corolla does, that Jin comes with a, a slight uh, affection towards murder. It's the one and only Kurt Clark. Kurt, how you doing? I'm good. I've got my martini topped off. And uh, now, to uh, now I am frightened. Now I might have to hop off the line right now. <laughs> I, I'm a whole time zone away. I think you're safe. For, but, a li- for an hour. I have an hour leeway. <laughs> but those of you in Chicago... <laughs> Oh boy! All right, let's let's get personal threats out of the way. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this was uh, I was talking right before we got on here, Kurt. This was a dark one. This is a, a not. I'm not talking about <laughs> Rumpelstiltskin, the dark one. This was this was a very very dark episode. Uh, <laughs> specifically, like the last like ten minutes. Yeah, at least you didn't say this was a deep one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, and and I've actually been saying I think uh, a couple times during this season, I was really hoping we would get some sort of Cruella origin story because uh, I know that I've, I've been curious about you know where she came from in the context of Once Upon a Time and of a comment and both of us have commented on how she doesn't really seem to fit in to um, the Enchanted Forest where we've seen her which is really the only place we've seen her in the kind of the flashbacky type episodes. So it was, I was really happy to get this story. I don't know if I was I was um, ecstatic about the the outcome of the story in terms of it being so dark. I mean, it was, it was fun to watch, but uh, didn't think it was going to go down this path necessarily. Yeah. So I agree. I definitely enjoyed the origin story, and we'll get into it. But I actually really enjoyed a lot of the facets of it about how they were able to really surprise us considering that the, yeah. the Ursula story even though it was very atypical to the character that we had gotten used to it was still a little uh it played out as as much as you thought it would about you know she wants to escape her father but then Hook betrays her and now she goes back to her father um uh, this one definitely took a, uh, a definite twist at the end but my, my issue about it is that this is the second of our three queens of darkness that had her origin story and then seemingly disappeared in the same episode you know it just it's it's a little frustrating for me just because like you know you, you bring on these actresses you hype up these characters you give them one episode to really do their thing and then they're gone you know and, and as much as i know once upon a time doesn't want to kind of take like a, an approach like the wire or even game of thrones and just keep adding characters for you to uh for for viewers to really uh invest in it's still, you know, we can only see so many permutations of our main six characters, you know? And so I was happy to see Ursula and Corella come along at the beginning of this story arc, but then to have her die at the end of this episode, I don't know. It's sort of like watching the first Iron Man movie. And then in the end, Iron Man blows up and you're like, well, that was the story of Iron Man and we'll never see him again. You know, I, I hadn't, I'm now dissatisfied too, Mike Bloom. Thank you so much. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to drag you down. I'm I'm not, I'm not trying to turn dark like the savior. I was just expressing my opinion. Well, no, 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 no. I, I, I see completely what you're saying. At first I, when you, when you started explaining it, I was like, yeah, but you know, I'm I'm kind of fine. Like, you know, they, they had their, their big wrap up on the stage and you know, sometimes it's a heroic wrap up. Like, I mean, I don't know if Ursula's wrap up was necessarily heroic, but it was kind of a, at least more on the positive side of the spectrum. Um, and then you have have Corellas, and, and maybe just what they wanted to do was um, 
you know, the, the idea being there's several villains that are going against the crew and they're kind of being taken down one by one. And I, and I kind of maybe was half expecting that to be what happened. And that is what is sort of happening, uh, that they, they each have their moment to shine. And then they it's, it's a little, uh, uh, you know, kind of Scott Pilgrim in terms yes. of how they, they have, you know, they're, they're kind of defeated one at a time. But, but once they're defeated, you don't see them again. Um, but. I do see. I do agree with what you're saying in terms of there was almost this. I don't know if promise is the right word, but the, the, this hype around it at the beginning. And I think it would have been a lot more fun to have them throughout the season and to maybe give them all a little bit more through the season. Because I'd say prior to Ursula vanishing, we didn't get a whole lot from her. No. And prior to uh, to you know Cruella's. Uh, end tonight and you know we're curious to see if she actually did die or if there's some sort of twist there um besides her legs twisting <laughs> yes a different twist other than the one in her legs uh it, it it's she didn't have much other than some kind of you know you know snappy one-liners throughout the season um and so yeah so she did kind of you know burned bright very bright this episode and then uh fizzled out at the very end so if we're going with the scott pilgrim analogy does does this make corella sort of like the midpoint, like with the the vegan guy, or what? What's her equivalent here? Um, I don't know. Were her and Ursula kind of those those DJ twins that get battled almost like right before the big villain at the end? Yeah, five and six. That could be. <laughs> yeah. so then is well, then does that make Gold or Maleficent uh, Jason Schwartzman's character? Um, well, I think it depends. Uh, are you going to look at uh, is Maleficent going to be a villain that gets? defeated i'm really kind of curious when it happens with her storyline because we do see this obviously maybe maleficent is knives chow yeah there you go uh and you know gold i don't know if there's ever going to be actually a final battle with gold this season so yeah maybe it is maleficent who's the jason sportsman and this took a turn that i think neither of us thought it was going to go absolutely so but i have seen this movie we do not we have not (laughs) added a movie i own this movie which is actually rare for me we might as well watch it again though it's a very good movie yes go go watch it out there if you haven't yet yes so let's uh let's you know not bury the lead or Cruella's body too much here let's let's start let's start talking about flashback here uh, because we see a little bit, as you said, about the culture that Cruella exists in, which appears to be London in the 1920s. And the author later states that they're kind of in a realm that's perpetually stuck in London in the 1920s, which is interesting. I, I, I didn't think that that would happen, but I guess if they have to create the 101 Dalmatian story, I guess that's the, the realm they're stuck in. But we yeah, have- it's, a, it's, a, it's a little reminiscent of um, the 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 land the world that the darlings uh were stuck yeah, in yeah. uh and, and it, i was always wondering this whole time like is that our past or is that kind of but were the another, darlings, another world were the darlings stuck yeah. in that world or is that the well, real world that's what i was wondering it's like i don't know if that was our past uh assuming our world is the real world uh or was that a story realm it's like that's i think just a, a question that i've kind of perpetually had because i could i kind of saw cruella potentially coming from that same world. But it's interesting, and maybe this is going too far down the rabbit hole, because, well, Alice in Wonderland probably comes from approximately the same world. Uh, But, you know, the Cruella has aged in that world, but time has not passed because it's always the 1920s. It's kind of a, it's kind of a strange little thing, but I'm not going to dig too deep into that. No, that, no, that's, that's an interesting point. And I don't know if that's a plot hole or if that is significant because I believe the mother character did not age whatsoever. And maybe that's just production saying, well, she's old anyway. We might as well keep her old, but that she is, went from having, she went from having black hair to gray hair. 
that that much I was I was when the when she was listening to the radio and and saw in her room and someone took it I was like okay this is probably going to be the mom has she aged at all they did they did change her hair color to indicate that she had aged mm-hmm. so Kurt what did you, what did you think about these first couple scenes in the flashback where young Cruella is basically made out to be a sort of Cinderella slash Rapunzel type of figure where her her mother wearing all black has her locked away in the attic forbidden to see anybody. It's funny, I had, in order, I had, this is kind of, I'm getting a Cinderella vibe from this, prior to the author saying that this is kind of a classic Cinderella story with a Black Widow twist. Uh, so I, I had in my notes Cinderella, and then later on I also had a Rapunzel note. So I actually get, I've, I've been, because I've been clamoring for some sort of Cruella backstory for flashback, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I think at the very beginning when we see this young girl running through the woods and she's kind of chased by these Dalmatians, I knew that was, this was Cruella related. Um, or was it Ramsey Bolton related? Uh, you know, it, it very well could have been. Um, uh, but I, I think that at least they stopped short of doing anything with the dogs here. That's uh, true. They, <laughs> um, and when someone stepped out of the car and I saw that it wasn't Cruella, I kind of put two and two together and figured out this was young Cruella. And it was like, you know, you know three seconds later it was confirmed. But mm-hmm. uh, at the time I didn't know it was this. My my mind immediately was thinking, is this the stepmother? But it turns out no. Was, I think it was actually her mother. Yeah, it is actually uh, her mother. Yeah, her, uh, her thrice married mother. Yes. Um, so yeah, I, I I really enjoyed it, and I liked you know the name for the of the episode was sympathy for the Deville, uh, and you do kind of start to build up some sympathy for her, and I think throughout this flashback, I was wondering how did the author screw her over to get her in the situation she's in now. Like did the author turn her into a villain? And I thought that's where we were potentially going. Yeah. I like the title sympathy for the DeVille too, though. Looking at the lyrics, it actually reminds me a lot more of Rumpelstiltskin because certainly the chorus is like, please to meet you. Won't you guess my name? Uh, so you know, they, that's the only, that's probably like, that's almost the only line of the course that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, <laughs> that's very, that's very true. So, I mean, if they had to pick all, any of the Rolling Stone songs, I guess to apply to this, yeah. uh, it would probably be, this is a good one. So, we get a knock on the door here, and this is the introduction of the author into Corella's world. And this is the first time we see the author outside of our enchanted forest realm. And yeah. uh, I know he admits this later in the episode. Kurt, did you find any sort of significance to the author being named Isaac, aside from the obvious heroes reference? Um... I did not, but I'm also not. Is, is there some literary? Uh, it came off as a biblical name to me, to be first, to, first of all. Uh, but that, that's really uh, all I got from it. Uh, did, did, what, did, what about you? Well, I mean, yeah, I'm from the Bible. Uh, Isaac is, I believe Isaac is the one who uh, is Abraham tries to sacrifice Isaac to God uh, when God tells him and then rebukes the, the to the order to kill his son but i don't think there's any significance behind that i just <laughs> i just again think it's funny that the guy's named isaac and obviously the of the uh much revered season one painter character who predicted the future was also named isaac oh that's true i, I remembered isaac from heroes but i couldn't remember which character the name from heroes but i couldn't remember which character it was i i've it's like in my Netflix queue, ready to be queued up for a rewatch, given that they're going to be uh, airing some new episodes, but I have not yet restarted Heroes. Well, uh, for that rewatch, you might want a sprinkle of magic, as Isaac alludes <laughs> to. So this is an interesting story here. Isaac is a newspaper writer. Put that in quotes yeah. at the moment. And, you know, he, he's, he wants to interview Corella's mother, who's the best dog trainer 
in London. And aside from, you know, the magic powers that she eventually gets, Cruella has a uh, remarkable hearing, considering that yes. she's able to hear like Isaac's entire yeah. spiel throughout the house. Then is able to she also has a super voice that she's able to whisper a good like what, like 30 feet or 30 yards to Isaac to, to go up to the attic. Yeah, she's got uh, daredevil levels of hearing uh, for, 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 for the purposes of, of listening in on Isaac's conversation with her, with her mom. That's very true. She has very heightened senses. Yes. <laughs> so she, uh, you know, after we get a little bit of peek into the mother's life here, she's thrice married, as I mentioned before, and she shoves him out the door. But Corella seeks the company and says, you, you know what? You can write my story, but you have to get me out of here first. Yeah. And th- and this was, you know, and this is where I was starting to get that that Rapunzel vibe a little bit. It, it was really and I wonder that has to have been intentional, especially yeah. especially given like, you know, the author does actually vocalize the fact that it's kind of a Cinderella story. He doesn't vocalize. the It's kind of a Rapunzel story because that's not really a saying, but it kind of is. <laughs> it can be now. <laughs> it can be now. Any any uh, stories that talk about, you know, capturing young women, I think will now be referred to as a Rapunzel story. <laughs> Uh, so is that a season? Is that season two of true detective? Yes. It's, <laughs> okay. Oh, we got a, we got a real Rapunzel story. That's my, uh, Vince Vaughn impression is seamless. I know. Nice. Nice. Uh, so I, I guess I is, so in order to like procure this key and, you know, put, uh, one of the Dalmatians to rest, did the author, does he have any magical powers besides the pen? Did he just literally write down and then she found the key on the windowsill and that's I, his power? I believe that's what he did, which is what I would have done. I mean, if I'm, I'm not going to go through some sort of elaborate heist to, if I, you know, if, if plan A is, you know, sneak into the house and then write down all the dogs are asleep and then write down and, and you know, the mother turns left into the living room and versus right into the kitchen when she comes downstairs. I mean, the easiest thing is, and suddenly he finds the key to the wind, to the door under the front doormat. That's you know? so Bill and Ted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, um, my guess is that he, plus how could he have gotten up there to put it on the windowsill? That's very so, true. He is not, Patrick Fisher is not the most, uh, physical actor. Yeah. And she does not have the hair to, uh, he, to, to let him down to climb it up. Uh, so, um, cause I, at, at first I thought, you know, we, we hear there's like the rocks being thrown at her window. I thought she was going to open it and like see him out there. Uh, and then he was going to be like, toss the key up or something. I don't know, but, uh, no, it opens the, opens the window keys there. She, uh, escapes and finds Isaac. Yep. And, uh, they, you know, she's continues to wheel and deal saying like, I'll tell you my story. If we go someplace loud and you can tell Isaac is totally that type of guy that if they say like, Oh, you want to hang out? He does not want to go to any sort of club, but he takes him to a club. I don't know if you caught this, Kurt, but there's this weird little transition between those two scenes into the club that was like a popping sound. It was it was no, weird. I missed it. it was like very reminiscent of like those cheesy Star Wars wipes that they do. Uh, it was like there's like a snap and then like the screen literally popped into into Murray's nightclub. It was very strange considering that uh, Once Upon a Time does not usually make those cinematography choices. But we got some swing dancing, Kurt. I think this is this is a, a first for Once Upon a Time heavily featured swing dancing or dancing in general. Yeah, it's um, I it, it was interesting. And, and maybe it was that that pop uh, that maybe I noticed it on a subconscious level because something seemed off here for me and 
I be and I actually was like beginning to think this seems almost a little too stereotypically 1920s. <laughs> like it, it, like if you had to picture a, a a you know if the scene calls for a, a 1920s speakeasy, this is almost it, it maybe not quite a speakeasy, but 1920s you know club with flappers and and swing music. This is kind of exactly what you picture. And yeah. so I this is where I actually began to wonder is the author um, kind of controlling some elements of this realm is, or is this realm not quite uh, quote unquote normal? Yeah. There was no prohibition in London in the twenties, right? That's, it. That's the other thing I was thinking is like, is because when she's listening to the radio, she says, you know, it does say this, you know, this latest sound from London. Um, and yeah, she speaks with a British accent. So does her mom. But I was beginning to question myself because I didn't think London was all about, yeah. Cause it's a prohibition was a U.S. thing. Yeah. And I didn't think that, you know, flappers and this style of club made it over there in the 1920s. Again, I, I'm, I'm not an expert though on 1920s London. So, um, I, I, I but the, I, so I didn't know again, but the fact that it was a, a story that kind of helped me question even more, is this our reality? Mm-hmm. And we actually find out a little bit soon that it's not. <laughs> Did you also, I don't know if you caught this, but when Cruella was listening to that song on the radio, it was a more jazzy version of the Cruella DeVille song from 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> I did not. That's awesome. Yeah, that was, I, I didn't catch the first part, the part that you were, the narration over the vo- the radio voiceover, but I did catch a little snippet of that song, which I was happy about because again, apart from obviously the Cruella character and Pongo's appearance, you really didn't get any specific 101 Dalmatians reference throughout this, which yeah. is a little sad, but you know, this show is always about taking these, these typical Disney fied stories right. and bending them a little bit. I was wondering if like, cause I was thinking back to 101 Dalmatians and like, there weren't any kids in that movie. It was two adults were kind of the main yeah. and good guys. Along yeah, with the dogs. One of the surprising was, Disney movies to not have a kid in it. Yeah. But it, 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 it overcompensated in terms of young, cuddly animals. That's yeah, very true. <laughs> um, and I was wondering, like, oh, gosh, am I going to have to like, are there going to be some some, uh, you know, actors or some characters in here that I'm going to have to look up in terms of, well, was. The, oh, so this was actually the, you know, the the main female good guy or good girl, I guess, or the main male good guy in the 101 Dalmatians. But you know, we didn't see really them. It was it was primarily Cruella and a Cinderella esque uh, mother. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so this is kind of kind of sort of a, a ubiquitous, overpowering relative. Also. And, and like when she when her hair went all gray, it did remind me even physically of the style of Cinderella's stepmother. Yeah, Lady from Tremaine. This, yeah. For, well done. Deep cut. Uh, <laughs> it, it did remind me of the, the physical look. Of, of of her so i thought that was an, an interesting callback as well so uh, corella sits down and she isaac finally has his groundbreaking barbara walters-esque interview here where uh corella admits her side of the story which <laughs> is that her mother apparently keeps her locked away because she knows her mother's secret which is that her mother has poisoned all three of her husbands. But enough about that. Let's swing dance. I like his line. I write stories. I don't dance in them. I, I'm, I'm going to start using that because I'm the same way. I, I, 
I do not like dancing. Uh, I'm not like a John Lithgow perspective, right? That's not a footloose <laughs> levels of, of not like dancing. It's like I, I, I tend to to not get out in the dance floor. So I think I'm going to say I write stories. I don't dance. Oh, they're going to say, like, I podcast about TV shows. I don't <laughs> dance some. <laughs> I, I, I tabulate polls about music. I don't dance to it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's a it's a good line. It's a good line. But they danced. All through the night, uh, this poor band, by the way, I, you could tell that sort of like if you've ever worked service before and you're you have to close that night and there's always that those one or two people that always stay out until like way past the time the restaurants close and they don't get the hint and they're not going to leave. I feel like the band feels that way about these two. You see, and again, for me, this, this seemed like, again, almost a too good to be true stereotypical club where like you've got the one drunk guy still at the table expecting you to see somebody like using a push broom to clean up some confetti on the floor as there's a slow song playing. And, uh, it, it, it seems a bit on the nose. Um, but I think purposefully, I think yeah. it was, again, it was supposed to be almost that, uh, archetypical, uh, you know, 1920s club. Yeah. So Isaac sits down with Corella once again, and he has yeah. his part of his groundbreaking Barbara Walters esque interview where he basically kind of lays all the crazy stuff out on the table and says like, look, you know, I don't really go around the world to get stories. I actually go across realms to get stories. Here's my special pen, which <laughs> sounded a little sexual at the time. Yeah, when he, <laughs> that's the other pickup line I'm going to try. <laughs> my special pen. Watching well, my special pen. Uh, and so he's, he's, he kind of breaks the news to her of, of, look, you live in a time period that is perpetually in 1920s London. And my pen and ink are enchanted with magic. Another great pickup line for you. <laughs> and... I can not only write people's stories, but I can change them. And he displays this. And this is the first time we really see the author's magic by him. Yeah. Literally, if he just writes it, it will happen. Yeah. And it's it's interesting. Like he tries to convince her at first by, you know, you know, you, can you say what year it is? And she can't. And, you know, he could have pressed that. It's like, no, really. The hard, you won't be able to. You know why? Because this is a story realm. So a realm of story. So there. But I believe he just kind of again, he didn't he didn't bury the lead. He's like, look. Boom. Diamonds are on your neck. Yeah. I'm the author. <laughs> exactly. He knows he knows the way to a woman's heart. Yeah. He could have just reach out, like drop the pen like it was a mic and that would have been awesome. <laughs> I, I, I want all authors to do that whenever they're trying to make a point. They finish a particularly witty line. They just drop the pen. Hopefully not drop the laptop. The typewriter. Even. <laughs> drop Ooh. the typewriter. Exactly. So, you know, he's uh, he, after telling her all this, he says, you know, I want you to get away from your mother. You're going to be safe. We're going to run off together. And he gives her the power of magic. And oddly enough, uh, you know, he, I think he could have just given her any sort of ordinary magical power. But he instead chooses. And this is the first official time we've confirmed this episode that Cruella DeVille has the magical power to have control over animals. She is the animal control of Once Upon a Time. Yeah. She's she is the Dr. Doolittle of our of, of our realm. Gene Wilder or any Murphy? Oh, Gene Wilder. <laughs> good, good, good. Um, it's yeah, that's an interesting. I mean, it, it obviously it ties in nicely to what we've seen her be able to do. So it helps explain that. Uh, if you know, if I had been the author, I don't know if that's the route I would have gone. Uh, I, I might have been like and then, you know, Corella returns home to find that her mother has repented for all of the murders and uh, apologizes profusely and turns herself into the authorities. You know, it could have been something a little different, but, you know, but, you know, he's, you know, he understands that that she's threatened by her mom's animals, uh, her mom's dogs. So, you know, I mean, he ties it into that. 
Yeah, that's true. And I mean, I guess leave it to an artist to be very creative about the magical power he bestows as well. Yeah. So Isaac offers, you know, let's run away right now. But Cruella says she has to confront her mother first. And so she sends her off with his car. But then while he's waiting at the hotel, he gets his own confrontation with Cruella's mother. And this is where we get uh, the big reveal here that it's sort of uh, akin to me for with the, the first season when we find out with red who the wolf really is in terms of you're led to believe this whole storyline before and even throughout this episode we're led to believe oh yes this is a redemptive story for cinderella i'm not well it is a cinderella story it's a redemptive story for cruella because you know she's been shut away by her mother and abused all these years but no it turns out that her mother was actually protecting the world from cruella and that cruella is a very cruel for lack of a better term person and that she was the one that murdered all three of her husbands with poison flowers lily yeah. of the valley <laughs> no lily's lily lily's gonna be later in the series oh, that's true sure. that's but this true. is yeah this is this is uh she's she's like her own little british damien um <laughs> uh it uh yeah it it would have been interesting to see, you know, learning that I almost wish we'd seen a little bit more of young Cruella. Yeah. I wish that they'd had further flashback scenes now of her, like, I don't know, lighting cats tails on fire. Yeah. It's, uh, and, and I think actually, you know, going back to season one, I, I think I saw the whole red riding hood wolf, uh, werewolf twist coming sooner than I did this. I don't think I I think at this point where the mom shows up and even a little bit into it, I'm still thinking, OK, he's going to have to do a little bit of dancing around this. I think he, he's going to have to do a little bit of explaining because I was still at the point where something happens where the author screws over Cruella yeah. and, and, and turns her into a, a villain. And so I didn't see coming uh, uh, until a little bit uh, a little bit later that, uh, oh, oh, OK, so this is where this is going to go. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think we'll talk more about the, the main story, Brooke, section. Uh, but they kind of led us to believe that as well in terms of saying, like, you know, Cruella wants to get back at the author because the author abandoned her. But it's sort of that thing of, I, I guess we we were instinctively, I don't know, trusting what Cruella said. Only later when we found out that everything she said is f- com- coming from a completely insane woman that we're led to say, oh, well, maybe we shouldn't have trusted her when she said that the author abandoned her. Yeah, and it actually is kind of an interesting uh, perspective on, you know, what what you as audiences believe from storytelling. Because like we were shown all truthful things, all things that were factual. I mean, if you think about like editing of reality television, we were only shown uh, Cruella being, you know, taken, you know, running away from her mom, being locked in the attic. We weren't shown all the other scenes. I think, you know, and we kind of fell into the classic storytell trap. And I think if there's if there's a lesson to be learned from this sort of flashback story, it's that, you know what, you know, you can't always you know, don't always take the author's word for what is happening. Um, that, that sometimes leads you down a, a, a road that uh, that isn't a road that's paved with truth. Yeah, it's interesting. And I think this is going to let us feel a little more sympathy for the author in general, because I think the image that we got of him, at least the uh, the past two episodes where we've actually seen him, is that he's he seems very wily, like an oily uh, snake oil salesman, if yes. you will. And he, even last episode, you know, he was running away. He did not. It's, you know, it's sort of like, what are if you uh, if you're not guilty, then why are you running away? 
And I think we're starting to see now that, I mean, he he seemed like he really fell head over heels for Cruella. And he, he seems very trusting and he seems like a nice person that just wanted to gather stories. And we see at the end of the episode that he is really looking out to protect people. So yeah. th- this was not only a nice flip on Cruella's character, but a nice flip on the audience's image of the author as well. Yeah, I'd say that like one of the words I would have used to describe the author was I, I liked your use of, of Wiley, uh, but also I think manipulative. Like in terms of like, which is like wantonly manipulative, like just out to do, do, you know, whatever he, he he's out there to do. And, you know, uh, I just kind of want to bookmark this thought here, but, you know, it kind of comes up a little bit later uh, in the, in the storybook part of the, of this, that it, it's almost, um, it, it almost comes to light. I think when we, when we watch the episode where uh, Lily's dragon egg is put through the portal, uh, I almost had this sense at the time that the the charmings uh, were were being coerced into doing that through the writing of the author, and it kind of comes to light in the in the storybook part that you know, and you know Mary Margaret at one point says you know you have to trust us, and he goes trust you 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 know, you you know, you you through everything you do with the portal and you kind of put Lily there. It's like what you know that that's that's crazy. So anyway, it almost seems like that uh, he is much more trusting, I think, and, and much less manipulative than we've been led to believe. Yeah, absolutely. So after this sort of reveal, this is when things uh, take a, a turn for the worse here. And this is when things get really dark. Specifically. Yeah, if, it, if it was if it was like Cinderella and Rapunzel up to this point, it's suddenly kind of going down, you know, paths of the shining all of a sudden. <laughs> it really is considering or, or even like... Um, something something out of like psycho considering that yeah. when we get home we have Krella come in and go like hello mother and <laughs> you can see what she does she does her about face and you know she sends the dogs after her mother and uh, uh, you know s- supposedly probably has the dogs rip her mother to shreds yep. off camera and this is when things go off the rails here because uh when Isaac goes to see Krella after he notices that she took his pen he sees her at the sewing machine and I, I my mind did not go to dogs first, Kurt. Nope. nope. <laughs> I was like, she's sewing something red. And is that her? What, what she's sewing? Because I don't really associate her with red clothing. And it turns out, well, that's the liner. <laughs> yeah. Oh, now now I can only imagine what the liner is made out of. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> I have to say, though, for being a completely insane woman, Corolla has great seamstress skills considering she was able to. And I don't want to provide too much graphic content, but she was able to uh, take the pelts off those Dalmatians very well for someone who's been cooped up in an attic her entire life. Yeah, and her her kind of furiously working at the at the sewing machine while Isaac's trying to talk to her. I think that that's where I was kind of getting the shining vibe from in terms of like you know Jack Torrance working at his at his typewriter uh, while while you know his wife you know Shelley Duvall is trying to get his attention. Uh, I'll work and no radio make Cruella go crazy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, and so this is, I was like, this is creepy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but, so, it was, but it was fun creepy, though. Yeah, so I want to I mean, I don't, I don't think we talked too, too much about Cruella's turn in general. Is this something that you really enjoy? Did you find this over the top? I I didn't find it over the top necessarily. Uh, and to say I enjoyed it would be kind of it's, it's not enjoyment wasn't the right word. I found it very interesting and I was um, uh, you know, I, I found it interesting 
and I was like, I'm, and I'm willing to go along for the ride. I mean, it wasn't what I expected. It was definitely unexpected, uh, but I was following along and I was nodding along and I was, and I was, I was, you know, you know, in lockstep with the, the writers of the show. I was like, okay, I see what you're doing here and I will go along with it. I, I may be a sick person, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> that might just speak more to me than anything, but I enjoyed it for a couple of reasons. One is I think it, it was done very well in terms of plotting it out and having that twist mm-hmm. at the end. Two, I feel like it's very atypical for the show, which I was happy about, considering yeah. that as much as I enjoy Shades of Shades of Grey and characterization <laughs> of these villains, it seems like this was the the first villain we've seen in quite a while that was evil just because she's evil. And as much it, as I love backstories, sometimes you just need that. Yeah, it's there's some, there's, there's, some, there's something just wrong to her core. And we see a little bit of that in the story of Brookline as well. Um, and but I, I I really liked her line um, where she says to Isaac, you know, some people struggle not to be drawn into the darkness. But ever since I was a little girl, I thought not. I thought, why not splash in and enjoy the fun? And I thought that is a villain. And that was awesome to hear. Like, I, I liked that that kind of characterization of the philosophy of villainy. Yeah. Spe- and speaking of Splash, we found out the origin of Cruella's <laughs> crazy look. So I now I guess the production design is explained, though. Again, I, I, I still I'm not really connecting the dots here of how yes, yeah. magical ink can cause you to have black and white hair and ridiculous eyebrows. Yeah, it's I'm that I wasn't quite sure of. Um, maybe it's like one of those maybe. Maybe the ink uh, wasn't tested on animals and this is the first time it did. Oh, this is what it does if it gets in contact with hair. Oops, not out too late. Did, um, yeah, I don't know. This is this was this was a strange one that how, how this led to her signature look. Uh, did did they ever I know he explained briefly about how the ink was magic, but do we know exactly what the properties are? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming this is not like the squid ink branch of, of power, but I'm assuming it's a different type of power. See, I was kind of thinking it might be squid ink, but I'm. I, and I'm not entirely sure. Maybe it's squid ink plug because of the, it says the ink and the quill have to be used with each other. So maybe if squid ink is used with the magic of this quill, this is what it ends up doing. So it's almost like the the quill is almost a a specialized magical wand that helps transmute the squid ink into reality when written on parchment. <laughs> squid ink works on everything. It works on binding your <laughs> best worst opponents. It works on a quick hair dye job. Call Has today. This- has this ever happened to you? <laughs> that's uh, that would if if that's the case, uh, I think the late Billy Mays would be a great hawker for this product. <laughs> Billy Mays here. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of this scene, Cruella pulls out her gun, uh, but it turns out she can't fire the trigger. Now, Kurt, at this point, did you figure that what the author had written down, he kind of teases it here by saying he took away something that she loves. Did you figure it was something along the lines of she's not able to kill anyone? I actually did. Yeah, I had yeah, it I did too. I, I had it in my notes. I wonder, I mean, I had it with a question mark at the end of it. It's like, is this what he did? Cause it would make sense. I mean, it's why he couldn't, why she couldn't kill him. I, I think, I mean, I, I, you know, overall, I haven't said this. I really like this episode a lot. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, I think one of the changes I would have made would have potentially been to not show her unable to pull the trigger. Um, 
but to see maybe I don't and I don't know if you'd have to potentially flash back again to this to you know this this London scene and show her unable to pull the trigger after it's revealed at some point or can he just you know do you just cut from her pointing the gun at him to him walking out of the mansion and her screaming at the top of her lungs so you're like wondering what happened what happened how did he escape and I, I it would have been a little bit more of a, a cliffhanger as to kind of what he actually wrote down but at the same time it, it wasn't a a huge. I think sometimes if I figure things out ahead of time and like, ah, gosh, I figured it out. That's kind of disappointing. I think I was kind of at, at pace with where I needed to be in the, in the episode. That's true. Considering that I think only like two minutes later is this scene where the charmings confront him and he reveals it. (laughs) So I was just happy more so to have my, my guesses, my guess be correct than anything. (laughs) Exactly. That doesn't always happen for me. (laughs) Yeah. So let's, let's jump to present day here as Cruella is going out for a joyride. And Maleficent finally decides to confront Corella about Lily, which is weird considering that this happened two episodes ago. So, and you know, this whole, uh, the whole, uh, granted, I guess, I guess we didn't see a lot of them last episode. So I guess I'll, uh, I'll take, I'll uh, revoke my statement there in terms of, I, I thought there a whole episode had passed where they hadn't done anything about it, but no, I guess along with the timeline, considering that last episode was completely outside of what was going on in Storybrooke that, uh, Maleficent could have just found out about everything that happened with her baby. Yeah. And, and sometimes I think for some of these shows, I'll be like, you know, in you know one week, you'll kind of see here's everything happening with these characters. And the next week, it, is it necessarily? Uh, and then we pick up with these other characters over here. Sometimes it's like, and here's what happened in parallel at the same time what you saw last week. So it's a, you know, the timeline's a little iffy, but it seems like maybe this is the first chance she actually got a, uh, an opportunity to confront uh, Corella. Yeah. So Corella fully admits to Maleficent without <laughs> kind of blinking her eye, which should have probably been our first hint that, Maruel, that Corella is not a good person. She said, yeah, I just abandoned your egg in the middle of the woods. <laughs> I like, yeah, I like, yeah, she's like, uh, yeah, I'm a terrible person and I left her in the woods to die. <laughs> and I was like, that was kind of fun and refreshing. Yeah, that was definitely a, a retroactive red flag on our part of where we kind of point to the warning sides and we say, oh, yeah, that's uh, that's probably where we should have known it. Yeah, but I think at this point, I, that, this was I was still wondering if um, it, I, at this point, I was still thinking that Cruella was upset with the author because the author had somehow turned her into a villain and had kind of turned her into this uncaring person. But I think where the warning sign should have be should have been for me from that theory is that, well, if she was truly evil, you'd think that she'd be just by nature OK with it. It's, it's hard to be evil and then be upset that somebody turned you evil. I think she would have, you know, she if she's evil, she's fully embracing it and she's not trying to track down the author to change that. Yeah. So, so I should have picked it up from that. So Corolla explains that the dragon egg magic which i guess exists kept her. <laughs> i guess that's a thing <laughs> kept, i feel like that i should always i feel like that needs to be mentioned once every episode this thing because i guess that's a thing now uh they've they were kept young by the dragon egg magic do you think that's the reason why they haven't aged a bit since they fell into that portal after leaving the enchanted forest well i think that's what she's that's what she's saying is what happened is that, you know, they didn't age in New York city. And I think we even actually had that as a question, uh, when we first saw, uh, Cruella and Ursula go through the portal into New York, uh, or, or maybe even before that, when they, I think when we first discovered that they were in New York, way right at the beginning of this, this half of the season is, I think we might have raised the question of how are they still looking the same age? I think yes. we actually asked that on the podcast and this explains it. They, they're keeping a, a magic egg. I don't know if it's in Ursula's, apartment or if it's in Cruella's 
uh, mansion. But yeah, there's an egg somewhere that they, I don't know what the rich, if there's a ritual, if they have to like sleep next to it or take a bath with it. Or, uh, I'm kind of curious what the, what the magic dragon egg non-aging ritual is. Yeah. Do, do we think that, can we just, uh, can we just, uh, you know, blame Dragon Egg, Egg Magic now for the reason why Jennifer Morrison looked the same when she was 17 and when she's 28? <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe that's maybe that will explain it. Uh, well, uh, Dragon Dragon Egg Magic. Dragon Egg Magic. <laughs> so let's so as a, I want to talk a little bit about this, this dragon transformation, because, you know, VFX team to the rescue again as Maleficent transforms into a dragon, but I guess the dragon f- falls in the realm of animals under this rule, I suppose. It's a magical, it's a magical beast, I think, technically. Um, and, and, and that's the question in the, I think for the, for the author is, is you think it would be like the word, like this specific wording, as opposed to the intent of what he wrote. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll say, uh, you know, if you can train a dragon, then maybe it's an animal. And we all know that there are, are several books and a couple movies on how to train a dragon. Yeah, so. but you could lose a leg doing that. Yeah, potentially. Potentially. Uh, but with Maleficent's put out a commission this episode. Cruella basically says, I've been waiting for you to finally do this, dummy. Yeah. And then puts, <laughs> and puts, and her, and to puts her to sleep. Yeah. It was, I was like, okay. I was actually wondering, I was like, is she going to put her to sleep now? And yeah, it happened. Which makes you also wonder, did, was Cruella just kind of baiting Maleficent so that she would turn into a dragon so she could put her to sleep? And if so, how much of what she said up to that point was the truth? Do you think it was wise for her to put her to sleep though? Or do you think it would, would have been better for her to actually, since she has the power to control Maleficent, to use her against the author um that would have been not in the via visual effects budget so that's, i think i think she with the she no <laughs> dragon egg magic with the vfx budget we can um we can make the dragon go to sleep this episode but uh that's about all we're budgeted for <laughs> so that's literally the conversation in the vfx room yeah but i think i think you know to trying to to get the uh the dragon to uh like does she just is is it pure yeah, I guess it is pure revenge. She just wants the author dead. Yeah. Uh, but she doesn't really know where the author is. Maybe just having a a dragon on the the Oh no, she knows he's in the cabin. Which yeah, I don't know. I, I you know that that's actually a good point. She could have she could have just had she could have just had uh No, at this point she didn't know he was in the no, cabin. No, yeah, she didn't know she she had yeah. left her furs there, but from what we had seen with the previous episode, Gold is the only one that knows the author was there and took him to the cabin by himself. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe she, she just didn't know where he was. And and, you know, having a dragon on the rampage uh, looking for the author wouldn't really necessarily be the best. <laughs> Not the most inconspicuous thing. Yeah, yeah no, it, it's yeah. It, it's like trying to take out a fly with a nuke. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about Regina's plan here because we see it kind of unfold over the next few scenes. First, she's trying to she's trying to make this trip to New York, but then she decides to. Uh, she decides to help the heroes out a little bit before she leaves. And of course she doesn't end up leaving once Henry Henry's life is put into danger. But this, uh, this is a pretty slick plan from Regina, something we haven't seen from her in a long time, considering that it seems like almost every time she's been outsmarted by gold, but this time she was able to outsmart gold herself. I don't know. Kurt, what, what did you think about this? Oh uh, yeah, it's, I was, I, at first I was surprised when, uh, when she came back and really explained a lot of the conversation that she had with gold, she stopped short of saying that, um, 
Gold's plan is to turn Emma dark. But the fact that she told uh, the fact that she told the Charmings completely about the whole Robin Hood and Zelina thing um, made me uh, it surprised me a little bit, but maybe it shouldn't have. I guess the the only question I had was I didn't really get the sense that um, I didn't really get the sense that gold was against Robin Hood and Regina getting back together. I mean, if you go back to the last episode, you know, gold chats with Robin Hood outside of the hospital and says, you will, you have found what your, who your true love is, you know, do nothing to, or, you know, do everything you can to, you know, make that a reality. So I didn't really necessarily get the sense that, <clears throat> excuse me, that, um, Regina needed to go through the whole, uh, I'm going to crush Belle's heart. If you get in the way of me rescuing, Robin Hood. I didn't get the sense that gold was necessarily going to stop her from rescuing Robin Hood. Mm -hmm. I I think it's more so that if Regina had to take any sort of hostage to use against Zelina, it would be gold. And I mean, granted, I don't think Regina necessarily knows that Zelina doesn't even care about gold. She's merely using gold to get to Regina. And I think at any point in time, if Regina told Zelina, Hey, guess what? I have gold or, you know, I, I can kill gold's wife then Zelina says, oh yeah, go ahead, do it. That's totally fine. You know, they don't have that, any sort of caring relationship. I just think Regina's kind of grasping at straws here. And she says, yeah. how can I try to uh, have hold something over Zelina? Oh, I guess if I get to her through gold, or even if I just oh. am able to use gold, since he's one of the most smartest, most powerful beings on the show, that will help me. So, you know, the, the way that I saw it was that she thought she is... <sighs> She Regina assumed that if she went to go rescue Robin from Zelina, that gold would try to stop her. And that's that's kind of how I read the situation. And that he and so she's going to kind of take Bell Bell's heart hostage and uh, says, you know, if you let Zelina know I'm doing this, if you try to stop me, if you do anything to get in the way of me rescuing Robin Hood, I'm going to take out Bell. That's kind of how I read the situation. And. And and I think my, that's where kind of my my point of view was coming from is like, well, I didn't really get the impression that gold, if if Regina left town, a that's probably actually better for gold and whatever he's trying to accomplish. And B, he has no reason for Regina to not get together with Robin. I think yeah. it, it goes back to that conversation between I so I didn't really connect her threatening gold with Bell's death in any way to threatening Zelina. I just saw it more as her trying to guarantee that gold wouldn't warn Zelina that she was coming. Well, I guess we'll see if this plan ends up getting carried out. I mean, at the end of this episode, Regina hasn't left yet for New York, but I'm I'm assuming she will at at some point. Yeah. I think it depends on how, um, if, you know, if Emma, if something ends up happening with Emma based on her actions at the end of the episode, and if any of that goes nuclear before Regina has a chance to leave town, she may stick around. Yeah, if something happens in the next four episodes, I mean, like you said, if Emma, we saw we saw Emma started going dark, not going clear uh, this episode, <laughs> and I think if if Emma's really showing this potential to become this giant nuclear bomb, I think Regina will kind of have to say, oh, "Okay, sorry, Robin, you can." You can hold still for, uh, you know, a f- couple more days and well, with your murderous fian- wife, uh, <laughs> my sister holding a knife to her throat. I need to make sure that this town stays safe, which is 
Zelina's not going to take any action against Robin Hood anyway, unless like something goes, unless something goes terribly wrong uh, with you know the plan in Storybrooke. Um, we did get a little also at the beginning of of this Storybrooke sequence. I think you you and I were had some questions last episode about the the phone number that had been given, and I forgot that we kind of it was cleared up a little bit that Emma had given uh, Emma had given Regina Robin oh, yeah, yeah, phone yeah, number. Yeah. Um, and so that was also cleared up in this episode. And I think we were, we were both wondering last time, so did gold have it or did Cause it seemed like Regina already had it on her. And yeah. I think that was also cleared up, but I think, I think that we can, we can hit pause on the, the whole Robin hood in New York storyline for at least a couple more episodes. I don't think Re- uh, Regina may leave, but I think again, if things go nuclear in Storybrooke, I don't think she's going to leave. Well, Robin hood in New York sounds like a horrible name of a spinoff of the show. Wasn't there, uh, I think, wasn't there a uh, kind of a modern day telling of story of, of Robin Hood? Because like, like Robin in the Hoods or Robin Hood, Robin in the Seven Hoods or something where it was like a, a, a gangster-esque telling of the Robin Hood story set in New York. I didn't I know like that. A, I think it's like a 1960s, uh, you know, remake of the Robin Hood story. And, hey, you know, how it might even be a musical. Um, but I think it's like, it's like Robin in the Seven Hoods or something like that. It would have to be uh, called like Hood in the Hood or something like that. Kind of like like you know, tales from the hood from the tales in the crypt uh, spinoff. Yeah, exactly. That would be an interesting spinoff as well. Actually, I did quickly look it up. It is called Robin and the Seven Hoods. It's from 1964. It's in Chicago, uh, and uh, yeah, so it's 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 a uh, Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin are in it. Oh, do they play two of the Seven Hoods? I'm assuming. Uh, do they just get the whole Rat Pack to play the Hoods. Uh, it's it, Rob Robbo played by Frank Sinatra is a bootlegger and his cronies refuse to pay the guy, the, the greedy guy Gisburn, who uh, guy is also a cl- uh, character from the Robin Hood tales. Uh, uh, let's see. They refuse to give, refuse to give him a cut of the profits. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, big Jim's, uh, who's a mob boss. His daughter, Marion gives Robbo a large sum of money, believing he's avenged his father's death. Anyway, long story short. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a Frank Sinatra, a, a rat packs take on the Robin hood legend, Robin and the seven hoods, a comedy musical action film from 1964. Well, if that isn't a winning formula, I don't know what is. Did I just give you a movie? You have to put in that in my Netflix queue as well. So, we saw the well for the first time in like, I feel like two seasons. I didn't even know that well still existed. Well, <laughs> that's what I have to say. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it, I completely forgot about that. I thought that it got I thought that it got destroyed in one of the many times that some sort of smoke came pouring out of it. But no, it's still there. Yeah. And I also I guess if you don't have the dagger, I guess you can still call Rumpelstiltskin by shouting into the well. <laughs> Is that the case? Well, maybe it's because that's where they recited their vow. Was, like uh-huh. I was thinking, I was thinking the same things. Like, did she, uh, or maybe she? Maybe this was less of a because he didn't seem like he suddenly had to go. It's like he knew that she was calling her because that she was calling him, and he chose to go. So it's sort of like uh, when you're talking with someone and you feel a vibration in your pocket, and you know someone's calling you, and you <laughs> politely finish the conversation. You say, "I'm going to take this call right now." <laughs> yeah, the or it's, it's a little bit like you know, if I mean, you know. Uh, because they, they never say Voldemort. They say he who must not be named because, you know, evil beings can sense when you use their true name, supposedly, like in, in many fictional series. And so maybe it's a sort of the same sort of thing where I think even we've seen it many times in the in the Enchanted Forest. If you said his name, then the dark one would potentially you know come calling because he would know when you would say his name. So 
I mean, I, I don't want to, again, fixate on this scene too much between Gold and Bell, but I feel like there was so much in here in that Gold kind of continues the storyline that he talked about last week in that we th- well, I think we initially thought that the changing his happy ending was just like not making him the dark winner anymore, you know, or like or even make him an all powerful being. But it turns out that it's all about his almost blackened heart at this point, which I didn't think was like still a thing when he came back into Storybrooke. But it really looks like he's he's dying. Yeah, that was. Yeah. Nothing says romance like tearing your own heart out in front of the woman you love. And yeah, it looked almost like a little bit like a, a piece of coal that had a small glowing red spot of hope in it. Or somebody left the heart on the grill for too long. <laughs> I hate it in the office when someone like, pulls their heart out in the kitchen. And you just smell burnt heart through the entire office. But I, I guess I should. Uh, uh, I, I misspoke there. I don't think he's dying as much as he's his yeah. love life is going to die if his heart goes completely <laughs> yeah. black. Yeah, there's a little blue pill he can take to help fix this all. Um, now it's yeah, he's lose any ability to love. So it's it's more that he would be forever the uh, irrevocably dark one. <laughs> yeah, very true. And so it's interesting to have him really sort of like the author here. Kind of once he he thinks he's in good company, he sort of rambles off the story here and then bell has this really nice turn where they kiss that she says you know will's a better kisser and we got i was like what so (laughs) atypical of the character but it makes so much sense but i uh i love it i miss seeing sassy bell as much as i do not want to see lacy i miss seeing sassy (laughs) bell i forgot completely about lacy oh boy Uh, uh it's and then like, yeah, he starts, she starts saying, oh, you are pathetic. And I'm like, OK, what's going on here? Like, I'm wondering. And my first thought is uh, I was t- I think I almost had two simultaneous thoughts. One, this is a dream sequence. <laughs> uh, two, this is Regina in disguise. Um, and it might as well have been the second one, because it, it's pretty much as close as you can get without having to cast some sort of glamour spell to make you look like somebody else. But she has she had Belle's heart and was basically commanding using her as a mouthpiece and saying what she wanted uh, you know, Rumpelstiltskin to hear. Yeah. So I, I want to talk a bit about <laughs> Cruella's kidnapping plan here. I don't even know if I call it a plan. Uh, as much as it is, I'm going to take this boy and say the ransom is that you bring me the author so I can kill him. But I mean, it, it brought us some Henry action this episode, which is something we haven't. Henry <laughs> hasn't been in a, in a main plot in this season for a very, very long time. And granted, I mean, it's Henry, so I don't know how well used it was. But I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm happy for the actor that he got some screen time this episode. <laughs> I did like later when they, when they when they get the actual. Well, first of all, it, it was strange that they were commenting so much on like, we just got a video message. This is strange. We never got a video message. A group before. video message. This is yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, and, and I like how Corella kind of characterizes like, I have your horrible little son. And I'm like, you know, that's what we thought for several seasons of this. <laughs> you're not video. you're not exactly not speaking <laughs> the truth. <laughs> yeah, it's not not true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. So so this big plan here is for Corella to lure Henry to her using Ponko, which Jessica Frey, uh, big listener of the podcast, got her. She's been talking for weeks about Corella and Ponko reuniting, and this was the one time they got to do so. So good good on her plan to get Henry cornered in an alley enough for Cruella to pull up in her car, which, by the way, turned out to be the author's car that he gave to her. Yeah. And, and, go ahead. and one, thing, one thing we didn't come on earlier is, like I think after 
Cruella puts Maleficent to sleep as a dragon. She's kind of having a little Cruella monologue moment. And she says then, like, uh, you know, nobody really knows what I'm you know, actually trying to do here. And it's so wonderful. And I, I wrote down, she basically says um, how yeah, nobody gets what I really wanted. Not gold, not you. I mean, not Maleficent. Now I get, you know, I now I finally get mine with the author here. And she doesn't really say my happy ending. She's more like I think she just kind of means my revenge. But I thought it was interesting back then. Uh, where it's like, okay, so Corella completely has her own agenda as well, something that Gold and Maleficent have no idea about. I think that was one of the other things that piqued my interest early in this episode. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and, you know, maybe we're, I think, you know, we have four episodes left here. It'll be interesting to kind of track moving forward. Who's out for revenge? Who's out specifically to change their endings? Who's out for both? Because I had in my notes that she says, you know, if she wanted her happy ending, uh, then she wouldn't want the author dead. And, and so I think I had in my notes like you think that she would want the author alive so that she could keep it. So she's she's not interested in her happy ending. Uh, yeah. uh, I mean, she, there's not really anything that she's I think necessarily looking for. She just wants revenge on the author. No, I guess her happy ending would be to have the ability to kill again. Oh, yeah, true. And I think and, and I guess maybe that's an interesting point is, you know, if the if the author is dead, do do some of the, do any of the things that he has written become invalidated? I would, uh, I would, uh, maybe not just because the, the title of the author will pass to the next person. Right. So then the next person yeah. will then be able to determine it's not like, well, anything that this author wrote is now out the window because the author's dead. Well, in the past, the authors weren't out to change the stories and to, to, to manipulate stories. They were simply there to kind of tell and pass along stories. Like this is the first author who's actually been actively changing stories and getting mixed up in things, at least from what the, the sorcerer's apprentice told us. Um, so it, it, I, I don't think we really know what would necessarily happen. I mean, on the one hand, she'd get her ability to kill again, but on the other hand, she would lose her ability to control animals. Uh, and, you know, as it turns out, um, uh, what Cruella's, you know, future abilities hold uh, is, you know, it's a, it's a lot of gravity. <laughs> Pretty much is just going to be inflicted on her. Maybe maybe there's a magical will that the author has. <laughs> like to Maleficent, I leave this piece of dialogue. <laughs> to yeah. Regina, I leave this storyline. Yeah. So we get a little bit. And by, you know, a little bit, I mean a lot in terms of okay. character. We get a lot of pouty Emma this episode. Oh, I liked how this, this is this where Regina's basically chiding her as they walk on their. As no, they, that, that's <laughs> after they get the. I'm, okay. I was referring to when they're sitting around. Basically, you know, I think oh, the, one of the first season is when they go into the loft and Emma is still pissed at her parents for them lying to her. Like very, very much holding a grudge. This uh, is. This is where this is where David's analyzing the video. Yes, this okay. is, uh, and this is also when um, when you know Emma says like Regina, you can't go to New York; it's going to be a trap. Like Emma has just become super pessimist at this point, big Debbie Downer. And as soon as they get the video message, um, they David goes into CSI mode and says, "Oh, that sign means they're at this trail marker, which means we got to go here." And they're like, okay, well, here's a great idea. With the author dropped his flask, we'll just use a locator spell on that. Surprising that they didn't do that in the first place, but eh, whatever. Uh, and I was like, yeah, you go do that. And it's clear there's a lot of weird tension in the room at this point. Yeah, it's a bit odd. Um, it's it's like I need to be 
you know, you guys do that. I'm going to do this with Hook and Regina because right now I need to be around people I trust. Oh, by the way, that means I don't trust you. <laughs> oh, boy. I, you know, you what? Get it. as much as I'm, I'm starting to enjoy the Darth Emma storyline here, <laughs> I don't know if this is I, I really want former episodes of Emma just being overly mean to and nasty to everyone around her. She opens up a hot topic in town and is just like really, really sad about everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, the, a scene that I skipped over a little bit, I don't know if it has too much impact on the plot here, but this is where Gold comes back to the cabin and kind of chides Isaac saying like, I know you two know each other and I know you both lied to me. And this is where Isaac first shows Gold the fact the the thing that he wrote for her, which has a nice little dog stamp on it. And when Gold reads it, he chuckles. So of course we'll find out later that it's the whole not killing thing, but trying to put yourself in the mind frame of watching this episode, Kurt, did you have any idea what might've been written on that page? No, at this point I did. Um, at this point I was wondering like, cause you know, there's a, there's a scene in the, in the 1920s nightclub where he's writing something down. I was like, Oh, is that what we're going to see? And I was wondering if, you know, did he is all, did he just show, uh, gold that he gave Cruella the power to control animals. And uh, so you know, at, at this point, when he's showing the uh, the paper with a puppy stamp on it, I, I had, did not have any idea what was written on there. That's good stationery, by the way. I would I would I would buy some of that. Yeah. I was wondering if that was uh, if that was a Dalmatian or, you know, or, or some other dog. I'm assuming it's a Dalmatian because it's Cruella or, yeah. or it's, it's the household stationery. So it'd be the mom stationery. <laughs> yes. The, the sigil of House DeVille. What do you think the uh, stationery was made from? Did she have time to not just make the coat, but did she also get really, really dark? <laughs> wow, she is very, very crafty. She must spend a lot of time on Pinterest. Yeah. If somebody, yeah, uh, someone, we, we allow people who will make uh, Twitter handles based on things that are talked about in shows. We have yet to have somebody create a complete fake Pinterest board based on one of the podcasts. If somebody decides to make a Cruella DeVille fake Pinterest board, please let us know in Twitter. Oh my God, that'd be... I, I would really enjoy that. I think that's on the list of uh, I think we still have uh, on there someone making a, a fan drawing of Elsa in the North Face jacket from last season. So it's, <laughs> the list is growing here. We, we have we have an off season to figure it out. Yeah, we, 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 we can we can commission our own thread this T-shirts. Yeah. So <laughs> as you talked about before, Regina and Hooker in the woods with Emma trying to look for Henry and Emma is again still pissy and they're trying to kind of get her to come to her senses. But she basically brings up the fact that she feels that her parents are hypocritical because they held themselves to a higher standards being the heroes. And Hook tries to say, you know, I'm a basically tries to use himself as an example, saying like heroes make mistakes. And Emma refuses and leaves despite the fact that she's a hero and she's made mistakes. But you know what? Her her mind's being clouded. She's being corrupted. Yeah, when when Regina said you're acting like a petulant child, they apologize to you. Now get over it. I paused my DVR, stood up, and did like a slow clap. Like thank you, Regina, for giving voice to everything I've been thinking for the past three episodes. Yeah, I, exactly. I think she was speaking on behalf of the audience there, but unfortunately, yeah. Emma <laughs> Emma does not listen. Uh, did you enjoy the fact that Cruella was playing Angry Birds or or pretending to play Angry Birds on her phone? I don't even know if her phone supports that app. Yeah, I'm not sure what. Yeah, it's definitely we think we determined it's not an iPhone. It's maybe some strange offshoot of a you know, of a an Android strudel phone. phone. A strudel, yeah, it's a strudel. Phone. <laughs> I like that. Uh, I you know I, I appreciated like 
Oh, they're gonna they're gonna. Be, I, I kind of saw it coming a little bit. It's like you know, you know, you don't know Angry. Um, but then like the the game geek in me is like, you never make a sweeping motion like that in Angry Birds. You don't sweep across the screen. You pull the slingshot back and then let it launch. Uh, but I, I did think it was a fun little nod. Yeah, I I agree, and I think. Again, probably a warning sign from Cruella that she takes such joy in a game where you're murdering pigs. <laughs> hey, we've all murdered pigs at one point or another. That's true. We all have, we all have blood on our hands there. But Henry's able to be distracted by the, the app enough to get away. But Cruella sends Pongo after her. And this is where uh, we see that our three heroes are, are distracted by sound coming out of these magic she- seashells kurt did, yes. did do you remember seeing these seashells anytime before on once upon a time i guess ursula must have left like uh you know a small duffel bag of random props back at the cabin is like i was like ah oh, you know what she's probably kicking herself back in her undersea kingdom like oh they're gonna use those they're gonna screw things up for the good guys i really shouldn't have left those but yeah they were like little bose speaker seashells <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's it definitely is a, like walkie talkies almost, uh, yeah. which is I, I could totally imagine in the Enchanted Forest that seashells are generally just walkie talkies. But I guess they were I'm assuming they were planted by gold, right? Because gold is the one appearing behind the tree when they when they uh, get diverted by it. I think so. And, 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 and looking back, you know, I didn't I didn't I kind of guessed that he had placed them there. But now it also makes sense that he really wanted Emma to confront Cruella solo at the cliffs. He wasn't trying to distract them so that they wouldn't go to the cliffs. He just wanted uh, he really wanted and needed Emma to get there by himself, by herself. Um, and so it, they, they did take the bait. They did split up. Uh, just lucky for him that they A, didn't stick together and B, that Regina and Hook went to the fake sounds and the Emma followed the real sound. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Gold was able to, his gold plans, uh, Gold's plan worked pretty well, I would say, in that yeah. Emma was split up and she got to the cliffs and Corella held the gun to Henry's head. Uh, this is actually something I we didn't talk about with the actual writing itself about Corella not being able to kill does Cruella know that? Did she infer that from what the author said, or does she still think that she could shoot Henry? Um, you know, I think the the fact that you know, I think I think that she, I think that she knew. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know she knew that she couldn't kill the author back then. And I'm sure that there's been other times where she's tried to kill and hasn't been able to. Um, so my assumption was that she did know it. Then I, 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 I didn't have time to think about it between you know the show and our recording was, well, if she was fully aware of the fact that she wouldn't be able to kill Henry, was this really the best plan for her to go with? And I think you know was was Hook, oh, sorry, not Hook, was Gold placing a lot of faith in cruella coming up with this specific plan specifically if cruella knew that she would not be able to kill so i'm assuming that she knew and that was empty threats yeah i don't know though i mean to put him to have him chase to the edge of a cliff is still like putting yourself in a precarious position as well though i mean we'll see that that's the other that's that's and that's the other thing is that you know it worked out for gold that you know did did gold install that angry birds game on her phone knowing full well that cruella would play it so that henry would escape because really the only reason that um, that Henry was able, uh, the only reason that they were at the cliffs was because Henry escaped because Corella was distracted by the phone. Um, but maybe the plan would have worked wherever 
they didn't need to necessarily be at a cliff. I think the plan was that uh, the, the, that Emma would come into the woods, uh, Gold would isolate Emma from her friends and kind of draw, potentially even draw her toward, you know, the, toward Cruella and Henry, and that this would still have happened whether or not they were at a cliff. Mm-hmm. Though I'm, sh- I'm sure that Cruella did not count on Emma blasting her off the cliff. You know, I don't yeah. think this was a death mission. I don't know. Do you think Gold counted on that? I think Gold counted on Emma doing whatever she needed to do to take out Cruella. I think he counted on Cruella uh, threatening violence against Henry in front of Emma. And I think he counted on Emma doing whatever she could, whatever she needed to do to to basically take out that threat. And she just happened to Hadouken uh, Cruella right off the cliff. And I just kind of saw a little bit of like, you know, fatality kind of come up on the screen all of Mortal Kombat yeah not movie, not so. very I mean not a very family friendly episode but definitely not very family friendly to suck to show Corella's body splattered on the rocks below <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing um yeah and, and it, you know what and I'm not I'm not 100% convinced that she is dead I mean yes her leg was all twisted but we've seen you know if we've seen the stable boy Daniel was that his name yeah <laughs> come back from the dead uh I don't know. So that's true. Know, we, we did we did see both Gold and Zelina veritably die, but then their yeah. life essence still yeah. brought them back. Yeah, I mean, and, and Corella is nowhere near. I mean, Corella is basically a a mortal who is a given a very specific magical power by the author, and B who happened just to the only other magic she's really encountered is staying young through this dragon egg. Um, so she's much more mortal than the Dark One or or Zelina. Um, so yeah, maybe she is dead. If I mean, she was. My, I think I think I said before she was my favorite of the three evil villainesses. I just enjoyed her a lot, and so I, I'm hoping that she does come back in some way. But yeah, every every time I think about it, her, the way her body was all twisted up, like you said, is a little bit indicative that yeah, it's going to be tough for her to come back from that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is going to be the big pushing off point, the big inflection point for the Darth Emma saga here, considering that I, I wasn't going to comment it throughout the episode, but Emma looked a little I, worse for wear here. You know, I had it in my notes as well. I was going to bring that up with you also, if you had noticed that. Yeah, and I think it is, it's the most prevalent in the very last shot of this episode, which is, you know, the Charmings show up, but they're too late. They, are, they got told by the author that Cruella can't kill people, but Cruella's already blasted off the cliffs, and we just have this tight shot on Emma's face, and she's got dark circles under her eyes. She's not yep. wearing any makeup. She's got that sort of grimace on her face, and it's clear that, like, she is descending into darkness. Yeah, and, and she seemed to be getting, like, throughout the episode, she seemed a lot kind of pain. And, and less less full of color in her in her face than she normally had, and she she definitely seemed to be already kind of descending. At least maybe just more like a it, it seemed to be like to be more like a visual cue from the from the the creators of the show that she's kind of on this path a little bit already. Um, and even you know her choice of clothing, you know she wasn't in her typical you know kind of you know shiny brown leather jacket. She was like all in gray uh, this episode. It may have been a jacket that we've seen before, but still like even she's she was very kind of pale pale colored skin uh kind of gray colorless jacket it, it just seemed like she was not full of life and energy like we've typically seen which do you think if we're looking back on again emma the savior becoming the dark what do you think is the inciting incident do you think it's going to be this or do you think it's going to be her finding out that her parents lied to her oh god i hope it's this i um, mean this is definitely <laughs> the more visual incident <laughs> um I, I'm, I'm thinking it is going to be that. I think it's like that opened the door, but then this was her stepping through it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And, and, and plus, and it wasn't a door that was, you know, it was probably even like an, an automatic door. It wasn't even a door that was hard to open. I, 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 if, I don't know. I mean, the fact that they gave that the writers of the show gave Regina the line, stop acting like a petulant child. They apologized, get over it. It makes you think it's like they, the, uh, the writers of the show probably recognize that the Emma upset with her parents thing is a bit, ha- has been a bit much. Um, and so I really, that's just for the, for the thing about that, that reason, I think that the really, the inciting incident is what she did to Cruella. But again, is it one of those things where she took the life of someone who really posed no threat, but at the same, is that what did it? Or, you know, can you argue the fact that, you know, uh, Emma had no knowledge of the fact that Cruella wasn't a threat. And mm-hmm. so it's, it was, she, was she kind of tricked into committing an was act? Was she or, justified? Was she justified? Uh, is it, does intent come into play at all? Does the, does the, the amount of knowledge you have about the incident, does that come into play at all? Or is it simply that she, uh, killed somebody who had no way of defending, defending themselves or who was actually not a real threat? Uh, is, is that something? Um, I don't know. It also raises all sorts of questions about what the curse, so what do you, whatever you want to call it, that, that Cruella was placed under. What were the what were the the range of it? It's like could she allow somebody to come to harm through inaction? Like you know, if she suddenly sees that somebody's standing on a set of railroad tracks, um, or if she's in a car that's that's barreling towards somebody, does she have to actively step on the brake? Or you know, you know, I'm I'm curious to what extent she can't actually cause harm. So if you guys listening have any ideas about how this incident will play into Emma's descent into darkness, or if you know if there are any times we have seen these magical seashells before, or if you uh, have any sort of, I don't know, faded YouTube commercial from Billy Mays about this magical ink, you have a bunch of ways to contact us. As always, you can leave comments on the show page. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to our Once Upon a Time only feed. You can do that by going to postshowrecaps.com slash once iTunes, and please watch while you're there, rate and review us. That will always bring us up in the ranks so more Once Upon a Time fans get to experience us and hopefully enjoy us as well. And, of course, you can always reach out to us on social media, specifically through Twitter. Kurt, how can people find you on Twitter? Uh, I am at Kurt Clark on Twitter. And I am at a Mike Bloom type on Twitter. But while you're bopping around here, please feel free to check out all the other coverage that Post Show Recaps is doing. Game of Thrones has begun once again at the time we're uh, recording this. Actually, the second episode just finished. And as always, Rob Cesarino and Josh Wiggler are working on that. Justified just wrapped up its series finale. And I believe Josh and Antonio are going to be covering that as well. Of course, Josh is working on his daily recaps of the Netflix show Daredevil. And actually, Kurt, as a fun surprise this week we added another weekly show to the repertoire here due to popular demand jessica lee and i will start recapping the third season of orphan black weekly oh nice yeah i just watched the uh, season premiere today yeah uh any no uh did you were you squeamish at all during any scorpion bits or or pencil bits uh pencil bit Yes. <laughs> and, this, and at the same time, I'm wondering, is that like then a, a uh, not, not to give too much away, but is that a pencil then that you kind of keep around the office as a keepsake? Uh, it's, a, it's a very long pencil you're talking about. I don't even know what the practical use of that is around any sort of scientific facility, but I don't want to spoil the podcast too much. We, we recorded it earlier this afternoon and it's up right now on post show recap. So if you're a fan of that, check it out. We'll, we'll be doing that weekly as well. So, Kurt, we have four weeks left, but for now, we needed a hashtag for people who have made it this far into the podcast. 
Um, I, I've got two. I'm torn between. We may have to do both. I really, I really liked uh, Darth Emma. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I got a nice kick out of uh, the hashtag strudel phone. I, I think <laughs> let's go with strudel phone for now. Cause I feel like Darth Emma is something that we'll be plumbing the depths a lot more over the next few weeks. So if we're really running low on hashtags, we can always use Darth Emma up there. True. True. Yeah. Let's go with, with, with strudel phone. S T R U D E L phone. Perfect. Uh, yes. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's the best. Apple is the best kind of strudel. And we've, we've had some app, lots of apple pastries in the, the four seasons of, of once upon a time. So strudel phone seems so it's the phone you want to use right before you go to bed. So yeah, exactly. hashtag strudel phone. If you made it this far again, thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back next week as we are moving through to the end game of season four. And remember if you want to look younger, Don't worry about plastic surgery. Just get some dragon egg magic. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.